0: Well, at this time, we'll dismiss our kiddos to Kids Church. I'll tell you what, I don't know all that goes on back there, but I know they have a really, really good time. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Joel, and I am the worship and student pastor here at Redeemer. And I must say, If you are a first-time guest with us this Sunday, that you picked a pretty fun Sunday to be a part of. Things look a little different. Uh, Now, I would certainly encourage you to join us next week, as things will look a little more normal. There won't be as much dancing, Uh, but we are so glad that you are with us here uh, this Sunday. Uh, Youth Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Uh, For one, I get the rare opportunity to worship in the audience, to worship with you guys, Uh, which is much more of a blessing than you would even imagine. Uh, I truly am thankful for the worship team here at Redeemer. Uh, I'm thankful for opportunities to get to be in the audience uh, to watch them lead. And so I don't get many opportunities to speak. uh, So when I do get those opportunities, I like to take them uh, to share my gratitude and appreciation for this worship team uh, and the blessing it is to be able to serve along with them. And then secondly, I get the opportunity to highlight all that's going on with our youth ministry and give you a little taste of what youth nights look like. Our youth nights are always fun. Uh, They are sometimes filled with ping pong balls and dancing and lots of different games and and giveaways. Uh, But most of all, we do spend time in worship together and in the word together every time we get together. And so we are going to do just that. Now, as I was thinking over what I wanted to teach about this morning, I figured being a worship and student pastor, why don't I take this opportunity to teach from my student-pastor position on worship? Kind of the best of both worlds. And so I went back and forth on a few different passages, and ultimately I landed on Matthew's account of Jesus walking on the water. And I like this account because Matthew's account of this story is the only one that talks about Peter. And I think there's a lot of relatability between us and Peter. So let's go ahead. We'll jump into the text. Uh, For those of you who have your Bibles, our main text for this morning will be Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. For those of you who don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen. So we'll pick up in verse 22. Let's read it together. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on a lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity to highlight uh, all that you are doing and continuing to do in our youth ministry, all that you are doing and continuing to do here at Redeemer, and all that you are doing and continuing to do in our lives. And so I pray this morning that you will uh, speak clearly the gospel through me, that it will pierce the hearts of those in this room, and that ultimately we can all grow closer to you. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. So, have y'all ever had every intention of doing something good only to fall short for one reason or the other? I think this is something that happens pretty often. New Year's resolutions was the first thing that popped to mind, right? In January, we're all feeling good, like, We're going to eat cleaner, we're going to be more active, we're going to do all this, we're going to get our life straight, and this is all fine and dandy in early January, Right, The first couple weeks go really good, but we all know what happens late January, early February in Louisiana, right? It's king cake season. We can't forget about this. And shortly after that, is crawfish season, right? So Lord knows we're not going to be eating super clean then, right? It's hard to go, you know, run a mile after you pound down half of a Randazzo's king cake. Can I get an amen, right? It's not that easy. So we have good intentions, right? We want to do well. We want to eat right, we want to be more active, but then king cake season happens, right? Or, but then we get a cold, and then this happens, and something happens, whether it's good or bad, and we fall short. We fall short of our goals. And this is obviously a silly example of a much deeper point of how we can have good intentions, but oftentimes life gets in the way, and we fall short. And It is my hope today that you will see how God is all the more magnified when we fall short and how he is greatly to be praised and worshipped because of it. A little backstory to our passage this morning. This is on the heels of Jesus speaking to the 5,000, or feeding the 5,000. And the disciples had just witnessed Christ take the five loaves of bread and the two fish and multiply them until the crowd's appetite was not only satisfied, but they were left with an abundance. And although I'm not teaching on that particular passage this morning, I think it's good to set the context as well as there's a beautiful truth in there, right? Christ taking the little that we have to do abundantly more than we could have ever imagined. So the disciples, they just saw this miracle. They just saw God multiply all this food, right? And the text says in verse 22 and 23 that immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And I believe sending the disciples in the boat does two things. I think one, it gave Jesus time to be alone with God the Father in prayer. And two, it gave the disciples time to ponder the significance of the miracle that they had just witnessed. And I think both of these things are very important. We live in a society that is very fast-paced. Right? I'm learning this more and more as I have kids, right? that you're going from thing to thing to thing. Right? We go from schools to practice. We go from birthday parties to dance recitals, from ball games to homework, from work to the grocery store. We're always going to the next thing. And what happens is that when we move from thing to thing to thing, we often become numb to the moments that we're in, constantly looking ahead at what's next. Right? We can't even enjoy the birthday party that we're at because we've got to remember, wait, we've got to run home to get the, the dance bag for the dance recital, right? We're always going from thing to thing to thing. You know, there's no greater joy as a parent than giving your child a gift. This is something I've learned. Uh, and I love every part of it. I love picking the gift. You know, I love watching their reaction on their face as they open it. I think it's just such a beautiful picture. But as they grow up and as the gifts become more abundant, right, especially around holidays or birthdays when you know they're going to be getting gifts from, from Mimi and Papa and from their friends and from you, right, there's more gifts, there's more abundance, something starts to happen. They'll open that one gift, right, and it could be something they really wanted. They'll open it, but then what do they do? They look towards the next gift, right? They don't even enjoy the one that's in their hands that's physically, tangibly in front of them. Right? They look towards the next one that's packaged and wrapped. They don't even know what it is, right? but they move from this one gift they have to the other one. Their eyes have shifted focus from the moment they were in to look towards the next one. But aren't we just the same way? And what happens when this plays out is that we get so consumed with the gift and what's next that we forget about the gift giver. We forget about what is most important. The gift is not as important as the one who gave it to us. Are we setting aside time to be with God? Whether that be through time in the word, through time in prayer, time in worship, are we setting aside time to ponder the wonderful things he has done and is continuing to do? As he sent the disciples out, he gave them this opportunity to think about, to ponder the miracles they had just witnessed. God knew the importance of this. Jesus knew the importance of spending time with God the Father in prayer, thanking Him for all He has done. He knew the importance for the disciples to have that opportunity as well. And if Christ Himself did these things, who are we to not? Moving forward to verse 25, it says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw Him walking on the lake... They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And there are a couple things to unpack here. First, we see Christ, the Creator, display His power over creation and His sovereignty over us. As we saw earlier in the text, Jesus is the one that sent the disciples out on the boat. And it was while Jesus was on the mountainside praying that the waves began to rise. It was while Jesus was on the mountainside praying that the storm came. But let me make one thing clear. While Jesus may have physically been away from the disciples, he was still near them. Let me remind you that Jesus controls the wind and the waves, right? We've seen this in Matthew 8, just a few chapters earlier. When Jesus calms the storm while he's on the boat with his disciples. So I believe this entire scenario as it's playing out was within his design. During this time that the disciples were battling the wind, battling the waves, battling the storm, Jesus had both the disciples and that storm in his hands. Jesus has the power over the storm and the sovereignty over us. And why is this important? because we too need to remember these truths as we go through various trials. Jesus is not unaware of what we're going through. In Hebrews four fifteen, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. He is sovereign in our lives and over our trials. In the midst of the storm, he is there. And the Bible clearly depicts that there is no question that God sovereignly ordains trials in our lives in order to reveal his character and his nature to us in ways that we would have never known apart from the storm. The thing that threatened to be over the disciples' head, right? The waves, the water that was threatening to be over the disciples' head was now under Jesus' feet. There is hope in that this morning. Christ the Creator has power over his creation. He has power over the storms in our lives. And he is sovereign over us. And the second thing we can pull from these verses, we see Christ's immediate response to the disciples in their fear. That verse 26, it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. So as I said earlier, while Jesus may have been physically away from the disciples, he was still near them. Oftentimes when I read passages like these, I like to put myself in the position of the characters and ask myself, how would I respond? And that's why I like uh, Matthew's account of Jesus walking on the water, because we get to really put ourselves in Peter's perspective. And in this scenario, I can certainly see why the disciples were overcome with fear. They're in the middle of a lake. It's the middle of the night, right? There's a storm coming. And there's something about dark water. I don't know about you guys, but it's never really sat well with me. Not a big fan of it. Uh, and I can imagine if it's dark water and it's the middle of the night and there's a storm coming, it's just this perfect little storm, right? And so it's the fear of the unknown. You can't see what's beneath you. You can't see out. And then for the cherry on top, they start to see something coming at them. You know, and I don't know exactly what they saw, but I imagine with it being the middle of the night with a storm coming, I don't imagine they could clearly see Jesus was coming. I imagine they start to see a shadow come and they're like, hold up, who's coming, right? It's a ghost, they don't know, right? So if we put ourselves in their shoes, I think it's easy to see why they were scared. But I love the response from Jesus. In verse 27, it says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Immediately, right? I love that word immediately. I love that that was put in there. And we see Jesus use similar verbiage, right? Later in John's account, we just went, went through it with Preston when talking to his disciples about his death and resurrection. In John 16, 33, these things I've spoken to you so that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you may have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus's response is immediate because he is always with us. Jesus's response is immediate Because we're fighting a battle that he's already won. Jesus' response is immediate because on that cross, he conquered all of our sin, all of our shame. And he has that same response for us that he gave to Peter. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. We have nothing to fear because our hope lies with Christ and in Christ alone. And even when we are in the midst of the storm, we know that God is holding that storm and he is holding us in his hands. And he says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Moving forward to verse 28. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. So as a reminder, Peter had seen Jesus do many miracles up to this point. As I mentioned earlier, just a few chapters back, Peter watched Jesus already calm a storm—a very similar situation. Peter had just seen Jesus feed the five thousand in the previous chapter, and he hears Jesus' voice telling him, "Take courage! It is I. Don't be afraid." Yet, like the child moving from gift to gift to gift, not acknowledging the gift giver, right? He's lost sight of those miracles. He's lost sight. And it is in a place of fear and doubt when he asks, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. But aren't we the same way, right? Quick to forget sometimes, moving from thing to thing to thing, that we forget all that he's done. Now, let me say this. Peter's willingness to step out of the boat onto the water is amazing. I think the faith represented here should not be minimized. But what matters most is not the measure of our faith. What matters most is the object of our faith. We see in verse 30 and 31 as it plays out. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus him, You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? When does Peter sink? When he takes his eyes off what? Off Jesus, the object of his faith. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Right? He was in the storm already. He was in the middle of it, but he still stepped out. Right, He had the faith. Right? It wasn't until he shifted his focus from Jesus and started to focus on the storm, started to focus on the wind, started to focus on the waves. In order to see the wind, he had to take his eyes off Jesus. We will experience storms. We will experience trials. This is something that is unavoidable. The question is, will we keep our eyes On the one who holds the storm in his hands. The measure of our faith isn't what matters, it's the object of our faith. So Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. And I think this is my favorite part of the story. In verse 31, we see that word again immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And I think there are a couple things again that we can pull out of this verse. One, again, we see that word immediately, right? I love that. I love that that is in there, immediately. You know what happens to something that's immediately caught? It doesn't break. You know what happens when something is immediately caught? It doesn't shatter. It doesn't crack, right? But what does happen to something that is immediately caught is it's safe. It's secure. It's protected. In the midst of our storm, in the midst of our trials, Christ is always there to immediately catch you when you fall. We are safe. We are protected. We are secure. What a beautiful picture of God's grace in that this morning. And I think the second thing we can see in this verse is that God met Peter where he was, but he did not leave him there. God met Peter in his fear. He met Peter in his doubt. He met Peter as he was beginning to sink, right? But he did not leave him there. Immediately, he caught him and he pulled him up. And I want you all to hear that this morning, that God meets you where you are, but he will not leave you there. God is all the more magnified when we fall short because it is then that he gets to catch us and he gets to pull us up all from his glory. (laughs) In 2 Corinthians 12:9, it says, "But he said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me." You see, it is because of our shortcomings that we realize and recognize our need for a savior. And we will all have shortcomings. As I said earlier, we will all fall short. Even with our good intentions, we will fall short. Romans 3.23, right? It says, for all have sinned and fall short. We will all fall short, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? In Isaiah, it says, all our righteousness is of filthy rags, right? Even when we're striving to do good, even when we're striving to do well, even when we have those good intentions, we will fall short. But Christ will always meet you where you are to catch you and to remind you that you are safe and pull you out of that storm. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the reason that we have hope in Christ. So now what? This brings us to the worship portion of the sermon. I told you all we would get there. There was just a lot of good rest stops on the way. As it concludes in verse 22, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And I believe this is the climax of the chapter. Following everything that had just played out, and everything the disciples had just witnessed, the disciples responded to Jesus by saying, identify and worship Jesus, you are the Son of God. And this is the first time the disciples identify and worship Jesus in this way, as the Son of God. And I believe this paves the way for our worship. Once you recognize who Jesus is, and once you recognize what Jesus has done, you realize how he is to be worshipped. And I believe the same holds true for us. The more we come to know Jesus, whether it be through his word, through time in prayer, through time in fellowship, we too should respond in adoration. When it comes to worshipping God, worship isn't just what we do on a Sunday morning. Right? It's not just what takes place on this stage or out in the congregation. If anything, that should be a pretty small fraction of our worship. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a constant overflow of joy that we get to experience through the grace of God. And whenever we fully comprehend the good news of the gospel, the hope that we have because of Jesus, it can't not bring us to a place of joyous celebration. Jesus is with us in the storms. He's there to catch us when we fall. He will always meet you where you are, but he will not leave you there. His grace is sufficient. Now, like I said, worship is a constant overflow of joy, right? But the danger comes when we lose sight of that source of our joy, the source of our hope. Like Peter, who took his eyes off Jesus when he saw the storm. So I'll ask, what storms are you facing That are making it difficult for you to truly rest in Jesus. To keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and worship him. I asked the question earlier, have you ever had every intention of doing something good only to fall short for one reason or the other? And I'll remind you, Peter had good intentions. Peter had the faith to step out on the water. But the storm came and he fell short because he took his eyes off Jesus. Oftentimes we have good intentions for things. We want to be in the word, right? We want to spend time in prayer. We want to be good in fellowship with believers. We want to be in worship. But the storms come and our eyes lose focus on Jesus. And we begin to see the waves, right? As they get bigger and bigger. Your eyes lose focus on Jesus and you start to see the debt and you feel the weight of it. Right? You start to see the path of grief that you've been walking through for this season. You start to see the heartache that you've been experiencing. Your eyes lose focus on Jesus, and you begin to see the death that you've had to live through. But let me remind you, church, Christ says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Christ holds both the storms we face and us in his hands. And he is immediately there to catch us, to keep us safe when we fall. And he will always pull us out. God is all the more magnified when we fall short. And he is greatly to be praised and worshiped because of it. Would you join me as we pray together? Dear God, what a beautiful picture of grace. That your son Jesus came down to this world to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins, to give us hope, to give us life. And that same Jesus is there to walk with us, to catch us when we fall, to pull us out as the storms come. And so we truly do, I pray this morning that we truly can worship him in that. That as the storms come in our lives, That we will remember all that you have done. All that you are continuing to do. And that you will be there to catch us, to keep us safe. What a beautiful picture that is. So we love you and it is in the wonderful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.